All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast and specifically the Road Trip Diaries. This is episode number two of the Diaries as Pete continues his epic journey from the middle of nowhere in North Dakota to his new home in Las Vegas. Let's all wish him well as he's on the road today to avoid him dying from boredom. We will be talking about the NCAA, the new XFL, the NFL, and a little bit even about baseball. So there is a lot that we pack in here in the next 20 minutes, but hopefully you enjoy. Without further ado, let's get to the show, the man, the myth, the legend, the road trip king. It's Pete LeCleed. Zach, how you doing, my man? Doing well, Pete. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to talk to you on day two of the uh, road trip across America. The road trip diaries, number two. Yeah. Uh, where are you today? Where are you going? Uh, I'm still just a little outside Billings, Montana. We ended up spending the morning doing some beautiful hikes in some of these Montana state parks. So you got oh, all the cool. all the caves and caverns and all these areas that have pictographs painted on them from 3,000 years ago. It's it's breathtaking, man. It is. It, it was an awesome morning just walking around. That sounds great. I'm looking at a map right now. It looks like uh, Interstate 90 goes right through Billings. Are you just taking the interstate all the way and then I, and then taking uh, 15 south, or are you going through Yellowstone? Uh, we're going to go through Yellowstone. So we're going to take a little detour this afternoon and, and stop in Yellowstone and spend the night, um, do some cabin camping, which we're pretty excited about, and then we'll uh, we'll be on our way tomorrow. Try stopping in Salt Lake City tomorrow. Wow. Nice. The, I've never been to Yellowstone, but I've heard it's just one of the most beautiful places in the world. So you have to uh, take some snaps, maybe throw them up, throw them up on the third string uh, Twitter feed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those places that and Glacier National Park have always been two of my big ones. I've never gotten to. So yeah, you know, knock out Yellowstone. I really wanted to Crater Lake National Park. There's these like iconic pictures of Crater Lake, which is in uh, Oregon, and there's this it's this lake made out of a giant crater, and there's a little island in the middle, and it looks so cool. But I've never been. Yeah, I've I've seen that one too, but never seen it in person. So you let me know. We'll uh, we'll go do a pod on location. Sounds good, man. A live pod from the island in the middle of Crater Lake. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> That'll be easily our catchiest title of it, of them all. Oh, without no a doubt. doubt. Yeah. Um, what should we talk about today? Just you know, for the next few minutes while you're on the road and have good cell reception. What should we? What, what sports headlines should we talk about? Uh, well, there's. I'm trying to think. There were a couple of interesting things breaking here over the last week. The one that caught my eye uh, that we'll have to throw up on the Twitter feed was an interesting article off SB Nation. Um, and it's really diving deep into NCAA college football investigations and how they handle it. Um, and this one, like I said, we'll throw it up on the Twitter feed so you can get all the details there. Um, but it's it's following the old Miss recruiting program uh, going all the way back to uh, Houston Nutt when he was in charge in the early 2010s. Uh, and then a program that was really floundering under him so he left, Hugh Freeze took over, Hugh Freeze, who became a huge name in college football, uh, and kind of the, uh, the interesting ways that he was doing recruiting uh, and, and how that kind of bit Ole Miss in the butt, because uh, NCAA recruiters were actually on site looking at the women's basketball team and the track team right. uh, and got a, uh, got a weird uh, kind of heads up that there was something amiss in football recruiting a little more digging and what i thought was so interesting was hugh freeze actually about four years ago tweeted out that if anyone had anything they wanted to say about the program to email it to their compliance office uh and uh as the story goes that is kind of what what keyed the ncaa compliance cops into a problem at old miss and they uh what was most interesting for me is the article spends a lot of time looking at um 
the, the Turnsell recruitment. And remember, he was the guy during the NFL draft where 10 minutes before the NFL draft right. uh, post, he's got this picture of him wearing a gas mask, smoking marijuana. They're exposing old tweets. A lot of it was fights with his stepfather. So it's, it's digging into that, but also digging into a Mississippi State recruit. So obviously their closest in-state rival um, and how he was very open with the NCAA that he took $10,000 uh, from boosters and he was getting free t-shirts uh, at this store called rebel rags um, and the ncaa gave him all of the protection uh, and said that it wouldn't violate his recruitment i'm sorry not his recruitment but his eligibility and he'd be fine but what the ncaa can't protect you from high school athletes and college athletes out there is the u.s legal system right and uh they they took him to the u.s circuit court and he uh uh, that is still ongoing, but they filed defamation suits against him. So just very, very interesting how Ole Miss is under the gun. A Mississippi State recruit is under the gun. I'll throw it on the Twitter feed. As I was reading this uh, in the, the middle of a Montana night last night, and by middle of a Montana night, I mean standing underneath the light of the Cracker Barrel that was across the street from the hotel with the dog. Uh, it was just, it was breathtaking to read, man. Oh, not breathtaking, but it was just, it was, it was a fascinating read. I couldn't stop. It was, it's a long read, but... 10 years of investigation on this. It's, it, it's a great read if you're into college athletics. And times could be tough here at Old Miss, but uh, I sent that article to you. Did you get Yeah, I did. You know, the first thing I'll say is uh, I love these new, like, long-form format things that are interactive. And so when you do throw this up on the Twitter feed, our listeners should definitely go check it out because it's an SB Nation piece, but it's not in the, it's not in the, normal, on the normal SB Nation platform. It's, uh, it's totally different, and it has these cool uh, interactive things that you click on throughout the article. You can see the graphics and things like that. So it's very well done. I think it's a story very well told. I think the broader narrative here is one that we've talked about before on the podcast. It's just really interesting how all of these college programs continually find themselves up against the law in these cases, trying to get some sort of competitive edge, figure out how to play their recruits. And I think everyone knows how how this how prolific this really is across the sport um, and across other areas of college athletics. College basketball is, is very ripe with these problems as well. But there are players who are getting paid all the time. I think my hope is that 10 years from now, we won't be having nearly as many of these conversations because we'll figure out how to how to how to compensate college athletes fairly yeah. and justly but i think sb nation deserves kudos for doing a really good job on an investigative reporting piece and, and doing a deep dive into a great fascinating case study of how complicated and entangled some of these ncaa violations become and how ultimately we're dealing with real people here not uh, not just assets or pawns these are real college students who often need real money and they're real talents and they have real earning power in the future that can be affected if they take a wrong turn earlier on in their careers so uh, definitely a good read it's it's funny doesn't this whole paying collegiate athletes uh i was listening to uh, a podcast called constitutional a few weeks ago and they were talking about prohibition and how prohibition came down uh, and they had all these different reasons for, for executing prohibition. And within 15 years, they're talking about uh, the, the man in the green hat who is not only pushing alcohol during prohibition, but he's pushing alcohol to the to the congressmen and the senators in the U.S. Capitol. Wow. And, and it's just one of those things where the, the corruption just becomes so significant and no one is willing to take a stand. But at the same time, 
they did something to try to stem a problem that they thought was getting out of control. And by trying to stem a little problem here, it became so much larger. And by eventually repealing the constitutional amendment for prohibition and allowing it, the states are now able to really control it and make sure it was it was not only profitable, but it was safer. And you're getting rid of people making stuff in their bathtubs and uh, stills in the woods and all these things. And obviously this is a uh, kind of a, a reach comparison, but it almost feels like that where we've cracked down so hard on paying collegiate athletes that we've made this problem so much worse than it ever was. And it's more corrupt than it's ever been. Yeah, totally agree. Did kind of on that note, did you see the news about Oliver Luck yesterday? I did not. I missed this. What's the news? So, so Oliver Luck, who was one of the top dogs in the NCAA, uh, was in charge of not only uh, watching academics, but also uh, ruling over NCAA eligibility, left the NCAA yesterday to go be the new CEO of the XFL with Vince McMahon. Yes, the XFL so, coming back. So, so you have one of the most credible guys in sports in Oliver Luck, who, remember, was on the initial college football playoff committees um, and is just regarded as one of those good dudes left to go be the alter ego to Vince McMahon. So I, I think this could be really bad for the NCAA to lose a guy like Oliver Luck, who say what you want about the NCAA and Mark Emmert at the top, but everyone really respects Oliver Luck and what he's been able to do. So uh, that was breaking as we were pulling off yesterday to, to hit the hotel, and I was really surprised by that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting, especially, uh, you know, the XFL in its first iteration years ago was very violent, exposed its players to far more injury even than they're exposed to in the NFL. And here you have Oliver Luck, of course, the father of Andrew Luck, who has been on the receiving end of too many nasty hits in the NFL. And now Oliver Luck's going to go be the commissioner in the XFL. I'm not sure what to make of that, but it's it's interesting. I don't think, obviously, and I think Vince McMahon knows this too, XFL, if it's like its first iteration, it's not going to succeed. But I think it is capitalizing, like a number of other professional football leagues that are trying to to get their start. I think it's capitalizing on the current lull in NFL fandom. So it, I don't know. It will be interesting to watch. I also think that potentially a league like the XFL could be could benefit disproportionately from the legalization of sports gambling. So I think that's another another interesting storyline to watch as the XFL tries to get it started. I think their first season is slated to be 2020. I'll, I'm not positive on that, though. It's... I mean, we, we make so many jokes about Vince McMahon, but when you pull in a guy like Oliver Luck, instant credibility to your league, and I think we're going to see the XFL kind of do what the NFL can't do, and because they're so much smaller and trying to create a culture and a brand, I think they'll be a player's first league similar to the NBA, uh, but I think they'll also be so much about the fan experience that it's, it's going to be interesting how they balance all these, but I don't think you're going to see the uh, almighty owner have nearly the power they do in the NFL, in the XFL. It'll be very, very interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. Speaking of football, did uh, did you see the the Philadelphia Eagles were disinvited from the White House? <laughs> I I did, and I saw that the White House instead was going to play the national <laughs> anthem and some great music instead. Uh, boy, it it has gotten political with uh, with these these White House trips. He canceled on Golden State last year, right? Yep, and uh, I think I think this year he's not going to invite the winner of the NBA Finals because already LeBron and Steph have said no one wants to go. <laughs> so rather than yeah. rather than face the embarrassment of having an invitation be declined, I guess better to just not send it at all. But the, so, uh, the Eagles spat was really interesting. Of course, I'm a diehard Eagles fan, as you and most of our listeners know. But, um, you know, the Eagles 
So Malcolm Jenkins has been very active in the Players Coalition, uh, a very reasonable and responsible voice for some of the the players' grievances and articulating in a uh, kind and fair and winsome way exactly why some players kneel and some choose to protest during the anthem, et cetera. So he and safety Eric Reed, uh, formerly of the 49ers, have been really good. Uh, I would love to see them as a as a safety backfield tandem in Philadelphia, but it looks like it won't happen. But anyway, uh, Malcolm Jenkins uh, would, would raise his fist during the anthem. And Chris Long, the defensive end of the Eagles, who um, was once a Patriot, now a two-time Super Bowl champion, has been also very vocal about social justice issues, donated his entire uh, salary this year to charity. Uh, he's, he's from Charlottesville. He was very vocal, especially after the Charlottesville rally. Um, he uh, made news for putting an arm around Malcolm Jenkins as, as Malcolm protested during the anthem. But even with, with those protests and several others on the Eagles team, uh, all of which, in my opinion, were, were tasteful, uh, no one, not a single person, ever knelt. Uh, and then the claim from the White House is that the event was canceled because the uh, the Eagles didn't want to respect our, our great flag and our great anthem. And it, just, it just seemed like a, a totally ridiculous narrative. And um, this is just an example among many in our contemporary time of manufacturing these controversies where, where no controversies need to happen. And then adding fuel to the fire, Fox News had this video report showing a montage of Eagles players kneeling, and it was implying that they were kneeling for the anthem. But like I said, no Eagles player has ever knelt for the anthem, at least they didn't at all last season. And so what Fox News had done was actually take clips of Eagles players praying with each other before the game started oh, no. and, and, and use that to show that they had been kneeling for the anthem. So Fox News, to their credit, actually ended up retracting and apologizing. But Zach Ertz, the, the tight end, uh, called them out and, and basically said, this is ridiculous, we were praying before a, a, a game you know don't use this for propaganda so anyway just a ridiculous narrative i don't know if we need to say anything more on this but uh it's been um it's been kind of amusing to watch this develop from afar i i was hoping when he uninvited the eagles franchise that he would somehow overcompensate with eagles of some other way maybe have i don't know a hundred bald eagles flying around the white house (laughs) inviting the eagles band i i don't know oh man i like the idea i I like the idea of combining both of those things just bald eagles flying around and the eagles playing the uh the national anthem oh man so so i don't i don't think our listeners want to hear exactly how we feel about kneeling during the anthem but overall with the owners saying that teams can no longer have any players kneel do you think that this is going to help or hurt NFL viewership right now? I think this is going to hurt, Pete, because I saw this as a controversy that was very much in its in its dying gasps. And I think we had sort of moved on from this narrative, you know, it, it, leading up to uh, leading up to the games, the early part of last season, you'd go on ESPN and ESPN would have these reports, you know, all the players who are expected to kneel for the anthem this week. And uh, by the end of the season, that storyline, I think it just it just had just kind of worn itself out. Nobody, I, I don't know if I want to say nobody cared. That sounds a little bit callous, but uh, I think it was far less of an interest item than it had been earlier in the season. And I think that if the owners had not done anything and had just just remained silent on it, I mean, some some had not remained silent. Some made pretty offensive comments, like Houston Texans owner Bob McNair. But uh, for the most part, owners had been silent uh, or had at least stayed sort of out of the controversy. And 
then they all met and made this unanimous policy after the controversy had died down. And now they're going to force players to stand if they're on the field. And it just it just seems like an example of the, the owners stepping in and taking action where no no action needed to happen. And Pete, this again goes to our case for why Roger Goodell is perhaps the most overpaid man in professional sports in America, because yeah. there's not a single controversy over which he has presided that he has not made worse <laughs> before it's eventually gone away. Yeah, and, and the NFL seems to really want to stay political. Um, and, and you can debate the mer- merits of athletes being political all you want. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it's very, very effective, like you and I have talked yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. But the, but the NFL keeps talking about how they don't want to take a political platform, but they keep doing it. And I truly, I agree with you. I think the viewership is going to continue to hurt because I don't see a lot of Americans seeing what the NFL has done if they've already turned off the NFL and coming back to the NFL because of this. Uh, and I, I certainly don't see the NFL... Uh, really losing any more viewers i'm sorry gaining any more viewers i only see them losing viewers here i mean you and i love our our team so much but i really don't like the nfl i love watching the game i love watching my hokies in the nfl i like watching my dead skins but overall the nfl has to be the hardest professional sport to to truly watch and enjoy on a week-by-week basis whether it's cte you and I have talked about whether it's these protests it is just so hard to support this league on a week-to-week basis anymore yeah yeah I think you're right totally and it's in a yeah the, the NFL front office in New York is uh, continually frustrating and a lot of front offices as well but uh, it, yeah. it remains a fun game to watch but then there is the the CTE issue that that you just brought up and it does make me conflicted more and more every week about watching this game so um, Pete, I should uh, sign off here shortly. We should wrap this up. But but real quick, final question for you. I was looking on Fangraphs the other day, looking at some of the year's batting leaders, some of the, the guys who have been doing outstanding work uh, when they step up to the plate. And uh, a name conspicuously absent from even the top 100 batters in the league right now is Bryce Harper, who finds himself in a uh, what could be charitably called a down year in his career. Um, yeah. I, I was looking at his stats uh, two days ago. I don't remember exactly um, what it was. I think he was batting 236. Um, he has he's still hitting for a lot of power, so he's like one off the major league lead for home runs, but nothing else is coming for him. Let's see. Okay, average 227 now. It's down to 365, 517 with 18 home runs. So, like I said, the power is there, but he is uh, walking less than he's striking out, which is not good for someone of his of his caliber. Average is, uh, you know, by far the lowest that it's been since he entered the majors. So what's going on with Bryce Harper? And if you had an option to just straight up trade Bryce Harper for Manny Machado at this point, would you do it? No way. No way. So the the problem with the Nationals right now, uh, and it's not just a Bryce Harper problem. I think it is probably magnified on Bryce more than anything else. Watching these games, there is a real desperation in that clubhouse right now. I think Davey Martinez is absolutely the guy to right the ship. But the injury bug has been so brutal in Washington this year uh, that I, I think guys are struggling more than they ever had because they're not getting the backup. Anthony Rendon is still not totally healthy. Daniel Murphy is not back. Uh, they've had something like 43 different transactions, moving guys to the DL, calling guys up in the minors and back down. And that is not an excuse for a team to struggle like they are. But I think overall you're seeing your top of the order really trying to overcompensate and swinging at a lot more than they normally do. I mean, you look at the the solid six, seven hitters the Nationals normally have in guys like 
Matt Weeders, uh, and and just the, the bottom half of the order has been so non-existent because there's just no one left in that clubhouse week in and week out um, that, that I think that they are really trying to, to do more than they should. Um, I, I'm not convinced that the, the Bryce Harper issues are going to last all season. I think we still see the, the shades of glory. But as I see Matt Adams starting to go, get a little more solid there, um, I see uh, Bryce Harper starting to put better swings on the ball. Uh, I think they'll I think they'll be okay. I still don't trade him for Manny Machado. Um, I still think Bryce has a higher ceiling than Manny Machado does. I really do. Um, and I, I think in Washington, you still need uh, that leader in the clubhouse that I think Bryce could truly be. I think Max Scherzer, who, by the way, last night had an immaculate inning which I totally forgot was a thing yeah. until he pitched it last night. And he's one of five pitchers um, now in history to have two immaculate innings in his career. Yeah. Um, I, I see him being a leader in the clubhouse, but I don't think in baseball, uh, unlike other sports where your quarterback can be the leader, your point guard can be the leader, I don't see a starting pitcher as being your emotional leader uh, in baseball. I think it's got to be a regular player who's playing five, six games a week. And I, I still think that could absolutely be Bryce Harper. So I, I keep him for the leadership and I keep him for the ceiling. Man, I just, I don't know what's going on with Washington right now because n- nobody is performing well. You have Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, Ryan Zimmerman, Bryce Harper, Matt Adams. None of them have a batting average above 255, which is just not what you need if you're yeah. going to compete. I mean, the, the National League East, maybe you can, I guess you can compete with that because they are. But beyond that, in the postseason, that's not going to get you very far. So, um, Hopefully they'll, they'll turn the ship around. They have Daniel Murphy supposed to return sometime soon-ish. I don't know. He keeps getting delayed, it seems. But hopefully his return will spark something. We can see a, uh, a progression to the mean. So anyway, Pete, uh, have a great rest of your trip uh, today. Send us some pics from the, uh, the time in Yellowstone. And, uh, yeah. yeah, drive safely. What, where are you passing right now? Any, anything good? Or is it just open road? Ooh, I... I got to be honest, I haven't seen a green sign that tells me what town I'm outside of in about 10 minutes. So uh, we're just going to say a bunch of openness and, and call it good. Okay. But I'll be stopping at Old Faithful later on. So I'll make sure to, to throw a, a picture on the Twitter of Old Faithful, which maybe that's why I should call Max Scherzer after that. <laughs> there you go. He probably deserves it we're, given we're that he's the, uh, the, one sh- the one shining spot of brightness on that team. So. Long baseball seasons, we mentioned in uh, Micropod 1. That's right, 162 uh, games. Times are not great in Washington. They're not. But uh, hopefully they'll turn them around. In the meantime, don't turn around. Keep going to Vegas. And, uh, yeah, talk to you on the Road Trip Diaries number three tomorrow. Tomorrow.